and welcome back to The Haunting Hour. My name is Ryan Brown, your co-host here at The Haunting Hour, and joined as always alongside my brother Tyler. Ty, how are we doing tonight? Ryan, if you asked me that question an hour ago, I would have said I am doing awesome on this Tuesday evening. However, for the past 55 minutes, we have, for the first time in our lives, been dealing with some technical difficulties here at the uh, Haunting Hour studio, but we are happy to say that they are relieved. If you ever want to see me get pissed off, come to the studio while we are having technical difficulties because I lose my f***ing mind every time it happens. Um, It should be a thing of the past now because we are rocking and rolling with some new equipment that we have just purchased. Hopefully we're sounding, I don't think we could ever sound more crystal clear, but if we are, hey, you guys are welcome. So the only issue that I have with that is uh, if we have very good quality of audio and we have decent back and forth banter, Mm -hmm. that leaves one thing that we're lacking and that's content. (laughs) And that is a fucking kick in the balls. Um, But I personally think, I know it's me who does a lot of the show, I personally think that we have a really good, as far as horror related content, uh, we have good content. Oh, you mean as like a podcast, like when you're scrolling through our episodes? Yeah. I'd say ours is, I think we have the best out of every single podcast I've ever listened to. We are obviously biased because we're us um, and we like what we like, but um, this is the first time since we started doing the podcast, I started listening to the episodes in order from episode one, Lizzie Borden. You're listening to us? It's like on my slow car rides home when I'm not going to the gym. I just put it on to put it on. Yeah, just for a little mind-numbing audio. Right. And um, I also do it in order to sort of just cite myself and see what I can improve on. For example, I listened to uh, the Arnie Johnson episode today. Oh, yeah. Which is ironically our number one listened to episode and downloaded, I think, on... For now. Yeah, for now, yeah. There's a couple more that are creeping up on it, and it's not even episode number one, which is weird. Hell yeah. That's awesome, though. Um, But that was a really good episode in general. I think our banter was good. I think you talking and I talking was good. But what I'm trying to say is the episodes before that, I talk too much, and sometimes you talk too much. And I think going forward, we are are going on the J-curve upswing, which is what we want. And like Ryan said, we got new equipment, so hopefully we're sounding suave and smooth to you guys in your uh, car radio or in your uh, earbuds or what's, what is a, an Apple? I, I, an iPad? Nope, iPods. Those are things. I don't know if people have iPods anymore. Oh, see, I can't have that because I have an Android. <laughs> would you still, if you could have your iPod from like high school, would you go and get it? I would love to scroll through it one time and then throw it in like the dumpster. Because I know I have some really good hidden songs on there, but I also know I have some like really emo sad boy shit on there that I do not want to relive ever again. It really, it's so eye-opening to me that when we were in high school and even in college, we were using iPods. You can only listen to what you have downloaded on your iPod from LimeWire, FrostWire, whatever the hell you were downloading it from. It's not like today where you can just go to Spotify if you want to listen to a specific song and you just type it in. We couldn't do that with iPods. So if you're listening to our podcast on an iPod, you had to download it. So kudos to you. If anybody's doing that, slide into our DMs. You can find us at Brown Brothers Haunting Hour on Instagram. Did that really early in the episode. Well, the first thing I really want to talk about as far as scary goes is uh, Ryan and I recently just watched a movie 
that started streaming on Paramount Plus, and um, we have to bring it to you guys because it was that fucking good. It is called Smile, and it blew my mind how scary and how well done it was for a. Um, it was like a a big studio movie. It wasn't a twenty four. It wasn't underground. It was a WB. It might have been Warner Bros. The fact that that came from a, a big studio and it was that good, that speaks volumes to the horror genre and how it's being received right now, and that's awesome. So let me get Ryan's opinion so he can tell you guys what he thought. What did you think, Ryan? Yeah, so I can tell you right now, there's probably a lot of our listeners who skipped that movie in theaters because they wanted to see Halloween ends. Let me tell you, mistake on your part. This movie, I'll throw it out right now. I might get blasted for this. The best horror movie of 2022. Probably the best horror movie regarding fear. Like, I haven't been that tense in a while since, Jesus Christ, I can't even, in recent memory, I can't remember. It's better than Malignant. It's better than Halloween Kills. It's better than Halloween Ends. It is just pretty freaking creepy. And the simple fact that I, on this side of the table, agree with you and think it was the best movie of 2022. I'm sorry, the best horror movie of 2022. Uh, speaks volumes as to how goddamn scary it was. It was beautifully paced, number one. Character development and plot was really good. The only thing I would say is that it's kind of a bit of a ripoff of It Follows. Me saying that, however, I loved It Follows. I thought it was great, and I thought it deserved something similar to it. But this was a scarier, more jump scare, better movie than It Follows completely. I think it's 100% scarier than It Follows. Like, when I woke up at 3 a.m. to go get a glass of water, hey, I'm not going. I'm staying in my bed until daybreak because of the the entity that you see at the end of the movie. No spoilers, but when you fucking see this thing, I was ready to turn the movie off i was like no you know what that's not for me we talked about this a long long time ago i think in like a couple episodes that we don't have uh on spotify or anywhere anymore but um if there was ever a time when you were too afraid when you woke up to go take a piss oh yeah and you just were like i'm just gonna fucking hold it until six or seven a.m i i did that the night after i saw smile for so many reasons just seeing someone smiling at you and not doing anything else. And that's not even the scariest part about the whole movie. That's my biggest thing. Right. That's like the the part where it draws you in. Mm-hmm. And then, like Ryan says, um, you guys know me. I like a good corporeal monster thing. The one that's in this is outstanding. Yeah. And also, I'm going to put my two cents in here for the week on stupid-ass social media. You motherfuckers out there who always spoil movies for me, I will find you. Because you guys spoiled the entity at the end. In my defense, there's something else before that happens. And I almost piss myself because that's the shit. Like, the monster at the end didn't really scare me. But the thing before it, um, what the fuck is that? I might turn this off before the end of the movie because that's how creeped out I was. I was the flip side of that. I saw nothing of anything in the movie. All I, I thought it was just like a killer who was possessed and smiled when they killed you. Oh, and he was already dead. He was like a ghost that was possessing bodies. Yeah, or like a reanimated corpse or something, which gotcha. is cool. But it's like, it goes into things like sort of possession, sort of um, something 
making you do something because you're afraid of it. But the whole point we're getting to is if you haven't, download Paramount Plus. This is not a uh, sponsorship. Go download it. It's worth it. Also, SpongeBob's on there. It's like five bucks a month and watch this movie. You will thank us. As Tyler likes to say on the show, we when we started out doing this podcast, we had an idea for the big five. Have we crossed off four of those already? I don't think we have them written down, so I have no idea what the big five are. <laughs> um, I think but, we said it on the Aliens episode, because UFOs or in Aliens was one of the big five. Yeah, well, I think the fifth one was the Salem Witch Trials. Okay. And technically, we did it. Technically, it didn't save for some reason. Yeah. Um, so we did our big five, I guess, um, or big four for you guys who are listening. But I don't remember exactly what they were. Oh, I think it must have been like fucking vampires, werewolves, aliens, Salem witch trials, and something else. Wasn't Stephen King was one of the original reasons we wanted to do an episode? Like we just wanted to do one on Stephen King. Which yeah, we're the Stephen. Going, we're going to do during like an after hour special coming up. Yep, a Stephen King special. Um, But yeah, that being said, we had an idea for the big five. I think we could chalk it up to a big six because of the topic that we have tonight. This is going to be an instant classic for one of our podcasts. That puts a wild amount of pressure on me. First question, have you seen the video? The elevator video? The elevator video. I have seen the elevator video. Does it make your skin crawl? It does make my skin crawl when I think about it within like the paranormal realm. When I think about it as somebody who has like PTSD or somebody who's like super bipolar, it doesn't, it's not that scary to me anymore. But then again, I don't know what this woman was dealing with. If it wasn't some type of mental illness, I will never visit that hotel ever because it's that freaking scary. So Ryan is alluding to the events that happened in 2013 with Elisa Lam at the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles. I'm going to say Las Vegas because we just came back from there, but Los Angeles. Um, so we're going to talk tonight about the Cecil and the events that happened in 2013. But before we get into that, I definitely want to go into some brief history on the hotel and why Ryan and I both think that hotels in general could potentially be the most haunted places on the planet. Following three years of construction, the Cecil Hotel opened in downtown Los Angeles in 1927. Designed as a middle-class hotel for tourists and business travelers to rest their heads, the establishment featured a decadent marble lobby, stained glass windows, and an alabaster statuary. Its polished reputation was doomed for dissent, however, as the U.S. entered the Great Depression two years after its transcription. The Cecil Hotel is actually a block over from the infamous uh, Los Angeles Skid Row, which, really? which is just infamous for um, violence, um, homeless people, and everything that goes with that. And for any of our Call of Duty fans, that is, I looked it up the other day, that's exactly what the map Skid Row in MW2 is based off of. It's the Los Angeles Skid Row area. That's actually a pretty nice map. Exquisite. Like, we, like I could live there? Like, oh yeah, pour me, a, uh, pour me a cold beer, I could rent one of these rooms. It just looked like apartment buildings, oh, didn't it? God. I guess that's what Skid Row is, technically. <laughs> yeah, you were too, too busy getting worked by me with the M4A1 to realize what was going on. Oh, that's completely false um 
It was a place that you just didn't want to be. Never, never go down there at nighttime. Yeah, it was just it's uh, it was just poverty, homeless people, violence, um, crime there was of every kind, crime, yeah, drugs, a ton of prostitution, and with that comes obviously death. So not so ironically, the first documented death at the Cecil happened the month it opened, January twenty second, nineteen twenty seven. So Percy Ormond Cook actually shot himself that month. Um, by a twenty-two caliber in one of the highest rooms at the Cecil. With that started the stream of strange deaths and suicides that occurred in the almost 100-year span up until these uh, wild events that happened to Elisa Lamb. So what I want to do is kind of go through, we won't go through all of them, but we'll go through a decent amount just so you guys can hear how many people committed suicide or died under mysterious circumstances and so that you understand why Ryan and I both think hotels are such prominent haunted locations. We'll get into it, but there's a reason why I think these places are so supercharged with paranormal activity. 1931, W.K. Norton, suicide by poison capsules. A couple years later, Benjamin Dodich, suicide by gunshot to the head. 1937, Sergeant Lewis D. Borden, suicide by a slit throat. So that is... Himself? Yeah, so that is like... That must take so much willpower on your end to actually take the knife and do it. Like, you must really hate yourself to slit your own throat. I would stop the second I drew blood or felt the blade. Right. I would stop. And I think think when you have events like that, that's that's more traumatic than being murdered and i think that can stain the walls of this hotel or stain the walls of whatever building you do that in so much more one year later 1938 uh grace Margot fell from the building and a year after that another individual roy thompson also fell mysteriously from the building next one's pretty gnarly 1944 dorothy jean purcell's unnamed newborn son was thrown out the window so she killed her own baby few years after that, we have a string of people falling to their deaths from rooms and from the roof. 1947, 54, and 62. Three people, Robert Smith, uh, Helen Gurry, and Julia Moore, all fell mysteriously to their death onto the sidewalk on the street. When you say mysteriously, is there like any, there's no evidence of them like, hey, I'm committing suicide and I'm going to jump? I'm assuming at least one of those, there may have been a note or indicators before, Mm -hmm. but when they say mysterious circumstances, they don't know for a fact if someone pushed them, tossed them, tripped them, or if they jumped themselves and just didn't exhibit like symptoms of depression or precursors, if you will. And being within the section like Skid Row in Los Angeles, I'm sure there's probably a lot of wrongdoing, probably a lot of drug deals and that went south and they're like hey i'm gonna go to the cecil to meet up with this person or hey meet me at the cecil in room 14 and we're gonna settle your debt here boom and maybe somebody gets tossed out the window because you didn't pay up or you stole drugs or something happened there pigeon goldie osgood 1964 was raped and murdered in one of the penthouses if you will if you want to call it a penthouse in the cecil 1975 and in 1992 two people fell from the building One of them was an unidentified man with two different colored eyes. Very strange. And one of them was named Allison Lowell, who was a salesperson. So I'm assuming it's kind of like death of a salesman where 
you're you're just not really good at your job and you get really depressed mm-hmm. and you just make the decision after like having some drinks that you don't want to keep doing what you're doing. Um, no idea what happened to this other dude, but like Ryan said, it was right next to Skid Row and that place is a hotbed for things like drug dealings, for things like prostitution. And if you don't pay up or if you owe someone something, pushing someone from a building, that's a pretty easy way to get them to shut their mouth. I might sound f***ing crazy for this, but it almost makes me think that that hotel was built for a specific reason in that place. And I don't want to say it led up to, but it was like charging that building to release it all at the time where Elisa Lamb experienced her thing. It just it just seems to me like that building was built for death. About 16 years later, Elisa Lamb, death by accidental drowning. And then finally, on documentation, 2015, an unidentified man was found suspended from one of the rafters in... They, they had a picture on it. It comes up from the lobby and then the first room to the right... It wasn't his room. It was like a... So it wasn't in like a rented hotel room. It wasn't a place for the public to see. Yes, but he did have a room. So for some reason, he decided to use this public... It was. It's kind of like a room that was off to the side of a bar. You said it best. Like it's, It's like he wanted people to experience how he felt and how maybe other people made him feel. Or maybe he didn't want to go back to his room because... Dude, it's got like wild 1408 analogies it really does just a haunted ground that the spirits for some reason don't want to leave or they can't leave and it's just over and over like a, a, a record tape people either committing these terrible acts of murder or killing themselves to keep the the wheel turning or accidents apparently yeah quote unquote accidents yeah and um just so everyone knows these are the documented cases i can promise you that there are undocumented cases of murders and different crimes at the hotel, especially prior to like the 70s. So it's not so ironic that the hotel also housed two serial killers in the 80s and 90s. The first, many people have um, heard of him, Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Boogeyman or the Night Stalker. So he terrorized Los Angeles from the mid-1980s, so I think 84 to 85 and that's when he stayed on the 14th floor of the Cecil Hotel. I think he was worse than Dahmer, to tell you the truth. Yeah, he. so his body count, I have it, it's 13 counts of murder, I've attempted murder, and 11 sexual assaults. That's insane. That is so many fucking people. And that happened, so 84 to 85, 15, 20, so that was like 35, uh, 40 years ago. Yeah. Which is, it's just mind-boggling. Did Zach have something at the ho- or at the haunted museum about Richard Ramirez and the room with the serial killers or no cuz i watched the Cecil Hotel episode a, like a week ago for ghost adventures and he has his drawings before like when he was on death row he has Richard Ramirez's drawings he has, he has them and he brought them to the Cecil into Richard's room yeah we'll have to when we do our episode on the Zach Bagans haunted museum haunted museum yeah. we'll go into it i think you're right though because he was one of the more prominent uh, and prolific serial killers in the past 40 years, so I'm assuming Zach would want some of his shit. And then finally, in 1991, which was a great year for babies... Um, Who was born then? The big dog on this side of the table. <laughs> the serial killer, Jack Unterweger, was a guest at the hotel. So, becoming a resident in the hotel years after he was convicted uh, of murder in his native Austria... 
he allegedly killed three sex workers in Los Angeles. So he was convicted of the murders, proven guilty, and he was found dead in June 1994, having committed suicide on the grounds. And we haven't even touched Elisa Lam. Right. Did it say if he committed any of the murders on, like, at the Cecil or no? No idea. I would assume if he was staying there, well, I guess he could do it on the street, technically, but... So with Jack Unterweger and Richard Ramirez, if you're staying at the hotel during the time where you commit these crimes, these murders, or even before, you're continuously probably thinking about those. Like, when you're going to commit them, what am I going to do next? Or you're, like, projecting in your head what you've already done to these people. What the hell does that do to, like, the four walls around you? If you're letting off that kind of energy and you're just sitting there, like... Oh, yeah, I just did that. Or, hey, I'm going to do this in the future. You're telling me that doesn't do something to this building? I would strongly disagree with you with that. We go back time and time to the stone tape theory or like the wood tape theory, if you will, where porous materials can actually trap energies, specifically really good or really negative ones. Let me ask you this. I'm going to cut you off real quick. Do you think that only happens when a murder is committed and like the soul leaves the body? Or do you think that can be projected onto these areas if you're a murderer or somebody who's about to do a really bad thing and you're just thinking about it? So I guess what we're getting down to is are all residual haunts a result of the stone tape theory? And then are all intelligent haunts an actual death? I was going to say a manifestation of an energy. Oh, okay, yes. So, like, a residual haunt and noise, specifically. Um, not so much, like, something answering you if you're on a digital recorder or, like, on a full-spectrum camera. or see. Actually, seeing something could definitely be residual. Right. Um, an orb or, like, a mist. But do you think residual haunts could come from a... from the stone tape theory, from a, a corporeal thing, like wood or stone or fabric? And then do you think an answering would be an actual moving entity? That can manifest and disappear and go back into the spirit, the quote spirit realm. Wow, we are far off topic, but I like it. Yeah, I was just looking at my laptop. I I think that like the the residual hauntings can be can be. I think it could be a noise of what somebody did in the past, or if somebody did that, like if it was their house for so many years and they kept doing the same action over and over again, the house meant a lot to them. But does that noise come from the the wood and the stone? I think, yeah, because we touched upon it in another, oh, here we go again, in another episode that it's not around anymore, um, in like the Spirits, Poltergeist, and Demons episode, where I think it always comes from those areas, like the wood and the stone and whatever the, the grounds are made of, but the barometric pressure has to be right, the humidity has to be perfect, the person who's experiencing it has to be open to yeah, the paranormal the openness, realm. yes. If you have every single one of those things firing at the same time, boom, I think you're going to have that amazing paranormal experience and you see like the full-fledged apparition or you see like a like like that i think that's when it's gonna happen but you never answer my question do you think the fact that like these serial killers if they were just thinking about what they've done or thinking about what they're going to do do you think that can cause the building to get negatively charged like you can walk into their room now and feel that energy i think certain people can okay i think certain people can't and do you think it's ingrained in the walls? Do you think it's like absorbed by the stone tape theory? Like that energy gets projected. It's either absorbed in the walls or whatever it is, that negative feeling, that 
that entity is comfortable there. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can feel them if you are open to those sorts of things. Gotcha. As Einstein said, like... We're obviously not Einsteins here. Energy can't be created or destroyed. But if somebody with that negative feeling and that energy so stupidly dark, maybe it never goes away. Maybe you'll always feel it when you go into that room. Or it transfers into someone else and they commit a negative act outside of the the area. Even and if that, it's not like murder or something, like it's stealing something. or Right, which will... Oh my God, I just solved it. It like, propagates everything. So even if you don't murder someone, if you do something negative to someone else where it sets that other person off to murder someone, you've... It's like con- converting that energy. You've continued that cycle, that wheel. We only say it a couple times a year, I think. Um, when you really start talking about this stuff, you figure out what you really... It, you like take inhibitions away. I really think that what I just said is a legitimate thing. It's like, well, again, the Dyatlov Pass, which it's gone now, but we thought we solved it on air, and I feel like I said something that was legit right. here. Yeah, yeah. That energy, if somebody walks into a room where like a serial killer was and he was thinking about what he just did or what he's going to do. Yes, but the person who walks into the room, they're not just going to walk out and murder someone. That's like a possession. Right. But if they feel negative enough where they say something bad to like their friend, like whatever it is, like, oh, yeah, completely out of con like completely out of the blue they're not even thinking they're like dude fuck you right or like yeah that's a fucking stupid thing to say and then their friend starts to feel upset and they say something to a friend that maybe that other friend is really in a bad headspace mm. and that sets them off boom if they murdered someone then the cycle has continued. continued maybe that serial killer energy if you're unlucky enough to walk into one of those rooms Maybe it's going to negatively affect you or maybe like maybe you'll just go into like super bad depression or something. And I can personally say when we walked into Bagans' museum with all of the serial killer artifacts, I did not feel good. I did not feel like myself at all. I got like a headache. I'm feeling nauseous. I do not like this. Yeah, Taylor was with us when we went. Uh, my girlfriend and then our sister was there, us four. Mm-hmm. And, um, and our friend Jeff was there too. Correct. Yeah, and our buddy Jeff. But... I could tell that Taylor was way off. Yo, she was I could even way off. She, yeah, all she did was like stare at um, John Wayne Gacy. Gacy. Yeah. She she said she wouldn't go in. The back room was with Mason, right? Or uh, Mason. Uh, uh, Charles Manson. It, uh, Manson, I'm sorry. She said she wouldn't go back there. And I think even Jeff was really quiet. So It makes you really think. Dude, it really does. Um, we are wildly far down the rabbit hole right now. Mm-hmm, the Cecil Hotel, man. Nothing like it. Let's get our crampons on and our ropes and climb up a little bit. <laughs> also, we're just, uh, if you guys hear a little pitter-patters um, within the microphones, um, our cat Bandit is in the studio tonight, and she's like walking around the table. It's very hard to concentrate with this. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit. Um, I don't want to go into Lisa Lamb's background or anything. I just want to talk about the disappearance and the elevator video, which are the really hot topics. But Elisa Lamb was a, uh, a woman from British Columbia. She was visiting Los Angeles. Uh, I think it was a vacation or some time off. And she decided to stay at the Cecil Hotel in a sort of hostel room with some other people. Towards the end of her stay, she was told to leave that room because she was exhibiting weird behavior. So take that as you will. But she was moved into a single room before she actually disappeared. And my big thing with Lisa Lamb is nobody gives you the answer of how she acted 
before she met those people in like the hostel room if you will like when she was being when she was a roommate with a couple of people they're like yeah she's acting weird but nobody ever talks about what she was like before she could have been acting like this the whole time right so uh, ryan touched on her briefly she she did uh have bipolar disorder mm-hmm. but she was on medication for it i think later on it was found that she took or she dialed back on the medication so if you guys do want to watch like the netflix series i think or uh documentary it's it's I think it's called the Cecil Hotel. Yeah, or the disappearance of Elisa Lamb, the Cecil Hotel, whatever it is. I'll let you in on a secret. They're not very good. Yeah. Um. So you guys can make your own conclusions as far as it goes, but we're just going to give you the facts of what happened. So when Elisa was traveling, she would contact her parents every day and tell her or tell her parents where she was and what she was doing. However, on January thirty first, twenty thirteen, which was actually the day she was scheduled to check out of the Cecil, uh, her parents did not hear from her. So her parents immediately contacted LAPD and they flew down into California to try to find her. Hotel staff who saw Elisa Lamb that day said that she was alone and wasn't with anyone. Outside the hotel, a woman named Katie Orphan, who was the manager of the last bookstore, says that she was the only person who actually really had a conversation with her that day. And I have a quote from her, quote, uh, she, she's talking about Elisa, was very outgoing, very lively, very friendly. And she was getting different books and gifts for her her trip home. And she was wondering if the gifts and the books would be too heavy for her to carry. So that part right there makes me think that something either really switched in her head or something really bad happened to her because she was leaving. Or she put on a really good front. That doesn't seem like the kind of front to put on, though. That like literally seems like a super genuine interaction with somebody. Like, hey, these are these books going to be a little bit too heavy for me to carry? Like, I feel like that is the most genuine thing you could say to somebody that you're talking to at a store or something. Right. That, that's precisely what I think. I was just devil's advocate. Right. Maybe right when she like left and she was feeling good. Right when she walked back, in, maybe upstairs to get her Cecil. stuff. Yeah. Right when she walked back in or entered the elevator, maybe something boom hit her wicked hard. So after she was pronounced missing, the police searched the hotel to the extent that they legally could. They searched Lamb's room and had uh, sniffer dogs go through the building and the rooftop, but the dogs were unsuccessful in detecting her scent. Different flyers were set up in the area, and her image was posted in the neighborhood and online, and uh, that kind of brought the case to the public's attention through the media. Now on February 13th, uh, which was one week after Lamb supposedly disappeared, the LAPD released a video of the last known sighting of her, which was taken in one of the Cecil's elevators by a video surveillance camera on January 31st. In approximately two and a half minutes of footage, Lamb, who was allegedly alone, makes very unusual movements and gestures, leaving the elevator at one point while its doors remain open, even after she appears to have pressed every single button on the wall. Question for you. Why in the hell I still don't understand this at all? When you're watching that video, the elevator door doesn't shut. You know when you leave an elevator and you walk outside, you have like, eh, what, two seconds, 1.1 seconds before that elevator door starts to go like, ding, I'm going back down. It doesn't do that once, and I think that is the most insane part of the whole fucking video. And I'm going to add on this, if you've seen the Ghost Adventure special at the Cecil, Bagans goes to the same exact floor that she was at. It's floor seven. And he goes to leave, like, literally right when he leaves the elevator to step out, he's like, is this the floor? The door goes ding, and it starts to shut. And he has to keep putting his hand out to stop the door. Doesn't happen to her once. 
So we go to two things. Was the motion detector for some reason blocked or faulty? Or was the videotape fake? Fake. uh, Tampered with. Pampered with. Tampered with. Um, We'll get into that a little bit, but I completely agree. If you guys also haven't, if you just want to watch the video, which is kind of what I did, just go on YouTube and search it. Uh, It'll be the first one that pops up. Watch it with an open mind too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't take. I mean, we're just giving the facts, and then we'll give you our opinions. But um, this was, like I said earlier, made my fucking skin crawl. It's creepy. Yeah, I like. I was like, what if I was in her shoes? Also, you. It's one angle, so you can't. <laughs> oh my fucking god! Oh, that scared the shit out of me. Oh, that was a bandit. Oh, hey, that was our cat. Welcome back. She's actually sitting in the chair right next to us. Good to see you. You're very cute, but you gotta go. I'd be lying if I didn't think Smile Monster wasn't coming through the door for a second there. I'm still anxious about that. <laughs> oh, that was another first in the uh, studio. Hearing a wild noise out of nowhere. Oof. We're keeping that in. Yeah, that's fine. We can do that. If you guys didn't hear it for some reason, um, our cat knocked over one of our wooden coffins and it scared the absolute <laughs> fucking shit out of us. Adding on to it though, because you said like it's like two minutes of her and you can't really see anybody else in the whole video. It's just her in the elevator. And there's one, there's like one part where she goes and she peers around the elevator to the long side of the hallway and she like gets spooked and runs back in. And I was like, what in the fuck did she see? That is exactly the part that I hated. She looks out like she kind of peeks her head out and then runs in and starts hitting buttons again. Mm -hmm. It's like either it was a weird visual hallucination or some weird manifestation of a actual thing that could haunt her or hurt her was coming down the hallway towards her. Imagine if it was like, if she knew who Richard Ramirez was or if he projected like all the killings onto her. In oh, a, yeah. Like an, as an apparition. Oh, you're saying from a victim standpoint. Exactly. And she yeah. was experiencing everything that like the victims were experiencing when he came to kill. They probably did the same thing. I would be hitting buttons left and right, my friend. Or imagine like this... Um, if it was such a seedy and dark place, what if there was something that surrounded it? Like everyone likes to say a demon, but some really weird negative deformed thing that just fed off of the negative stuff. And it knew that Elisa was open and it knew that it could feed off of her. So it showed itself real quick, kind of like in smile when it really shows its, its face. Yeah. It's true form. And, and that's what she was so afraid of. Maybe it was feeding off of Skid Row. And then once Skid Row started to like, dissipate a little bit in the 60s 70s whenever the hell it got like reformed a little bit it moved it towards the to cecil to the cecil because those suicides those murders those deaths kept happening yeah even up until 2013 2015 so it had stuff to feed off of we make the lighthouse analogy the beacon analogy all the time here where it's just a negative grounds a negative a super negative grounds that just sends a beacon out into the other realm plane world dimension whatever where really bad things feed and it just draws them in there's some type of creature down a hallway and you're the only one on like you're getting out of the elevator i would take the stairs (laughs) i would not take i would not wait for the elevator i don't like elevators as is me neither i would definitely take the stairs um also so side note are there any listeners out there who are afraid of elevators because i'm terrified of them i hate taking elevators it plays off my claustrophobia and the fact that you don't know when you're going to get out. Like, the fire department could be like, yeah, we'll get on that call next Tuesday. You can be stuck in there for a fucking week. 
So several theories emerged to explain the actions of Lamb in that elevator. One was that Elisa was trying to get the elevator car to move in order to escape from an actual person. Others suggested that she might be under the influence of a drug such as ecstasy or a different party drug. However, after the autopsy, there were no legitimate drugs found in her bloodstream. When her bipolar disorder became known, the theory was that she was having a psychotic episode, and that was one that most people, or that is one that most people um, kind of play upon when they think about the Elisa Lamb case. I know I usually side on the paranormal on things, but I, I have no no problem believing that maybe something triggered her to have a psychotic break. Like the elevator was, she was like too enclosed and she felt really scared. It stopped on the wrong floor like six times or seven times or something. And she finally got to this floor and she's like, I can't deal with this anymore. All right, get this part though. Many other people argue that the video had been tampered with before it had been made public. My skin just started to crawl. Never even thought about that. Like the police department... So, took stuff out. Listen to this. Besides the obscuring of the timestamp, which you can see in the video, parts have been slowed down, and there's nearly one minute of footage that has been removed. This, however, could be done to protect the identity of a person who otherwise would not be, or who would not want their their face out in the public. Right. So it and could just be a random to, person. You have to take that which off. you Who's legally to, have to. Yeah, yep. trying to help her. Yep. Um, but. What if there was no other person? What if someone just tampered with the actual evidence? If there's somebody's job in the police department who has to deal with watching these types of videos and editing them... Dude, they must drink every single day. Good for you, pal. That is that is just trauma personified right there. But honestly, with all of the bullshit that we've learned about UFOs and the fact that the U.S. government held all that information until... What the hell was it? Uh, 2020 when... They had to release... 2018, they were... Or 17, they were required to, and they released it this year. 2020, for to edit the videos, probably. Yeah. I Or yeah, 2020, you're right. I have no problem believing that they edited the video as well. So that was the video. That that was the really hot topic that it, like, hit 4 million views in, like, f***ing 10 hours. It was insane. That's, like, faster than Taylor Swift. Yeah, which... She broke Ticketmaster <laughs> for some reason. It's also faster than the Motionless and White Werewolf video. So the, the tail end of this, uh, we'll just talk about how the body was discovered because that also brings up a ton of questions. Um, so during the search for Lamb, guests at the hotel, also this is disgusting, began to complain about low water pressure. And some other people claimed that their water was colored black and had an unusual taste to it. On the morning of February 19th, Santiago Lopez, a hotel maintenance worker, found Elisa's body in one of the four 1,000-gallon tanks which was located on the roof, providing water to the guest rooms, the kitchen, and the coffee shop. Dead body mixed with your morning coffee to get the day started. I'm not sure I would ever eat or drink again. Oh. Do you drink out of hotel water, by the way, or no? It depends on how much I drink. But then again, it could be like a spur-of-the-moment thing where somebody gets murdered at Mohegan Sun, and they get put in the water tank, and I'm like, oh my god, I exactly. just drank six vodka sodas, I need a glass of water. Dude, I catch myself once a month, even in places where I'm comfortable with the water, or where it's like well water, mm-hmm. where I'm like, what if f***ing there's a body in this well, and it just got in there, but it's enough where it's, you can't see the change in color, but you like are taking in bacteria from it. Ugh. I do not, I drink water all the time, but I, I don't like water faucets and stuff. I drink out of it, but 
I mean, the whole point is like this happens. This happened literally nine years ago. Yeah. Get yourself a Brita. That's all I got to say about it. You have to. Or I bottle water is really bad for the environment, but really good for you. On February 21st, the Los Angeles coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor of death. The full coroner's report released in June stated that Lamb's body had been found naked with clothing similar to what she was wearing in the elevator video floating in the water next to her. She was also coated with a sand-like particle, quote, and her watch and her room key were also found with her in the water tower. They also ruled that I believe they've ruled it as an accidental drowning, but two days after the report was published, they ruled it out as, like, unidentified. They didn't know what happened, so they changed the coroner's report. To drowning? No, they changed it to unidentified. They're like, we don't know what happened. Oh, 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 so it was accidental. A couple days later, then they changed it back to accidental drowning. So maybe Um, something happened within those two days or one day. The coroner's probably had no idea what the hell happened to her, so they put that and the Los Angeles Police Department might have the actual video that they cut out. There was no evidence of any physical trauma, no sexual assault, and no attempted suicide. Toxology tests showed traces consistent with prescription medication, but she was also on medication for bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. She also had non-prescription drugs in her system, such as ibuprofen. In addition to that, a very small quantity of alcohol was present, but no other recreational drugs. There's also another fact that I wanted to talk about because I read a couple websites where this was extremely prevalent. When she drowned in the water tank, it's not like you jump into the water tank and you just hit the ground. Like those water tanks are like eight feet tall, something like that. I think I have the specs here. The tanks are four foot by eight, but they're also on uh, multiple layers of concrete blocks. So you have to climb up to get to it. And there's no way, I guess you could climb up, but it's really hard to remove the lid. That was another issue. But I feel like the lid's like, it's something you can just flip open. And then once you jump in, maybe it just vibrations of you hitting the water just closes the lid on top of you. Right. My thing is though, how are you hanging on this and opening the lid? Unless you're like uh, shoulder it? pressing in 120 pounds. I think there was a ladder too that they found of her Ooh, climbing up. Okay. I did not know that. If you couldn't close the lid, like once you hit the water, if the vibrations didn't cause that lid to close on top of you, how in the hell did she reach the fucking lid outside of the tank and pulled it shut? It sounds like once she fell in, somebody shut that on top of her. Or someone pushed her in. Yes, exactly. From my years of watching Forensic Files, in order to be classified as a drowning, you need water in your lungs. That doesn't say that there was no issue before that, though. Like, she could have been, for example, traumatized, raped, whatever, before. Because I also read that the, um, they, they don't know the result of the rape kit or the fingernail kit or if they were even processed. I thought you said there was no other signs of trauma on her. Uh, There's no external signs of trauma. But it says that, like, oh. actually getting a biological uh, sample from her, it wasn't processed at all. That's what people claim. It was never, like, actually presented to the public. Right. So um, it says that there was no sign of sexual assault, but it doesn't say what the the rape test kit said biologically. Like, if they found semen, for example. Right. Um, but you're yeah. absolutely right. Like, did someone do something outside of there, scare her so much, if this was a real person, murder her, or did they scare her so much they tossed her into the thing, shut the lid, and she drowned? What I wouldn't give, if there was a camera on the top of that building, like, watching that video of what actually 
happened. This is my psychopath coming through. You don't believe there was no camera on top of that building? Or there was no camera in the stairwell? So... Oh, no, there has to, there has to. Right. So we're not going to get into like the conspiracy stuff, but the the one that I read that was really compelling was two things, I guess. One is that it's really hard to get to the roof via any door because they're all alarmed. Right, exactly. Most of them are locked to the roof. Right, but it's very easy to get to the roof via the fire escape. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, so you but, just have to climb up. Right. So I think she had to climb up like, I don't know, if she was on the seventh floor and it's 14 maybe 14 to 20 she had to climb up on the fire escape but it goes right to the roof it has to legally however the singular fact that the sniffer dogs did not find her scent on the roof leads me to believe that she wasn't on the roof that day excuse me where the was she someone took her did something brought her back and put her in the water tower that's why the dogs did not get her scent on the roof. They were on the roof. Well, they drop her in from a helicopter? When they catch they would catch her scent if he like carried her up there. No, there were no so the day that she disappeared, mm-hmm. January 31st, that's when the police and the sniffer dogs came. Or maybe it was a day after, I think actually. Oh, so you think she was taken from property? She was no, taken off she property. She was gone. And then I think someone took her back, brought her up the fire escape or if it was a hotel employee, walked up to the roof, opened the lid, tossed her in it. Okay. So it's really easy to transport someone who's this small in a suitcase. I think how, that's how I think that's how they did it. How do you know that? Forensic <laughs> files. For uh, I think it was like season 8 episode like 21, someone killed someone in a motel, put him in a, a giant suitcase and just carried him upstairs. Uh took them out to the, they brought him to like a landfill or something. Um but I think that somehow some guy or some girl or some thing Took her from the hotel in whatever minutes after the elevator video happened. Mm-hmm. Took her from the premises, the dogs, no one could find anything. Somehow they had a connection back. They had a room or they worked there. They brought her back up the fire escape or like we said, through one of the doors, opened the lid, tossed her in. All the biological, physical evidence, fingerprints gone because of the water. Boom, solved the case. Actually, didn't solve it, but boom, that's my theory. It's actually not bad, dude. Do you think it was a... Full-fledged, just a homicide. Like, this was a killing. Or are you going to spin it on me and think this was a paranormal entity thing that was feeding off of all the negative energy there? I think the fact that the dogs could not pick up her scent means that someone took her or she left the hotel on her own, but no one saw her. So that could be supernatural. What I don't really understand is the elevator video because that is – I think there's only been a couple times in my life where I've been afraid – where I'm like holding a wall, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like something, when I'm afraid, like I put my hands up. Have you ever had a panic attack? Uh, no. I've had a panic attack and I've held, like you hold the wall and you're freaking out because I thought I was slipping into another dimension. That's how scared I was. Um, but that's that's like, a, were you on like a psychological drug? I smoked a little bit of the weed. Okay, so that's different than seeing something that sends you into that. Yes, okay. So if like a three-foot spider walked in here or crawled in here. If the smile guy walked in here. that's if What if that door opened to my right and there was just a, a guy smiling? There would be so much pee <laughs> on the floor of the studio. We would have to mop this up for eons. You would you would grab something. I would right? grab you this would, table yeah. and fucking whip it at him. <laughs> you would hit me in the process. Oh, my God. But that, But the video shows true fear. That's what I'm getting at. And I think true fear only comes from something that isn't 
a six foot one human being, even if it's a guy who has a knife. It isn't. That's not going to cause a guy with a knife or a gun is not going to cause me to grab a wall. Oh, it's got to be something that causes your mind to like fold. Exactly, something that really deep in your head, if something sets it off. Um, something really like immoral, wrong, something that mm. you know should not be there but is there. That is something that makes me grab a wall. That's what I don't get. I think that if it was just a human that murdered her and and put her in the um, water tower, I think she would be fighting or doing or running or doing something different than what she does in the video. Okay. Okay. You're painting a good picture. Yeah. That's, that's my two cents on it. So you you don't think it was just like a psychotic break? No. I mean, so the only thing that I guess it has to all fit perfectly is she was offered prescription drugs. She starts to have a break. She sees something like maybe a really weird looking person sends her into a frenzy. She sees something else. And for some reason, that person who she sees is a murderer or a, or wants to rape her or murders her for some reason. Okay. If right, that yeah. happened, like if she sees something that sets her into a frenzy where she's grabbing the wall and she's scared, but it's a real person, that all kind of adds up. Yeah, okay. I feel like that's one in a million, though. Precisely. In the video, remember there's like that part where she's like grabbing the air, moving the air around? She kind of looks like Aang from <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender. That seems like psychotic break to me. That seems like she's trying to grab something that's not there. You make a great point. But where'd she go after the video? See, that I don't know. That's the part that f***ing scares the shit out of me. She didn't go to her room. No, she like takes a... I think she takes a left... Or no, right off the elevator. It's been a while since I watched. But that's where the video quote-unquote cuts out. Yeah, there should be a hallway feed, by the way. 100% there probably is. And that's where the giant monster is that the LAPD right. doesn't want you to see. right. I don't like that seems like psychotic break to me, but the, then you say the fact that the dogs didn't pick up her scent on the roof. She would have had to have been taken off property. The dogs came, sniffed around, left, left, and then she came back onto property. Right. So she could have been alive. She no, there'd be, there'd be videos of her. Like, oh, she came back. This was her two days later. So then, so, okay, so if there are no vi- there are obviously videos in the lobby in the. of her leaving. Uh, of her of after yes of her after leaving the elevator I think you might be you might nail this one on the head there might have been like a murderer there or some dude lost his mind who was working like bellhop or something or the front counter saw her leave and is like yep she's I'm putting her in the water tower but why why does she ask the way she did in the video I don't fucking know if she just looked like scared that'd be fine yeah that I would get but maybe it was like all of that negative energy from the countless murders, the suicides, Richard Ramirez. Maybe it all hit her because she's like maybe somebody with bipolar depression is more susceptible to feel something from that energy. Maybe that caused her to just understand what one of those victims was going through. I like your your theory where she, the victim of Ramirez, for example, or even uh, the guy that the name that we were butchering earlier, uh, the guy from Austria. If they had like a bloody butcher knife and really like long hair over them and were walking down the hallway towards you because they already stabbed you and you're trying to get into the elevator. Right. That might send me into a frenzy. But the question is how did or where'd she go after that, I guess? There's just so many pieces to this puzzle that just don't add up. And first and foremost, we need to hear from you guys. This is a hot topic because it happened less than 10 years ago. So DM us. Uh, let us know what you guys think about this and we will post like maybe a little 
poll? Like, do you think... Or what do you think happened to Elisa? Yeah. Yeah. Did she leave or did she stay, you know? For sure. This has got to be one of the biggest disappearances, mysteries of the 21st century. It's unsolved. I think it, I think it has to be up there for one of the most mysterious. But yeah, so we tried our best, guys. We dived down the rabbit hole a little bit. We wanted to bring you guys a very cool episode and bring you one of the big six. I think we're going to end it at the big six, Ty, because I don't think there's any other topic that we can come up with that is going to have this much buzz. I think but, we call it the sinister six. Like ooh, the uh, very, yeah, the very famous or infamous uh, Spider-Man villain people. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, you know, it's one of the topics that we, um, we thought that it's not only really interesting because it is technically true crime, but it also has a supernatural component and it's relevant to everyone who is listening, especially those of you who are like, you know, maybe born in the 90s or the 2000s who were almost the same age as Elisa Lamb. Right, exactly. And it's one of those areas that, it was just destined for something horrific to happen. Built so close to the Skid Row, that many suicides, that many murders, that many accidental deaths. And then this whole mystery with Elisa Lam. who the hell knows what's going to happen to this place in the next 50 years, 100 years. And it's kind of terrifying to think about. We'll do this real quick. Ty, scale 1 to 10. I'm not going to paint you a scenario. The Cecil Hotel, how much to spend Saturday and Sunday night there, you're alone in the entire hotel. The Cecil Hotel itself, maybe a three. A three? Yes. Let me paint you this. You're in the elevator. You see what Elisa sees. One to ten. (laughs) 9.2. I knew it was going to be a nine. I knew it. That's that's up there. I knew it. What would your, uh, that would be, I said a nine in my head. Yeah. Um, Contingent on what I see. Like it could be a hundred. Um, what would yours be for just staying at the hotel? I, for me, just staying at the hotel, it's, you know, I'm okay with that. Just staying at the hotel, I think it'd still be scary. I'd still chalk that up probably like a 7-1. Really? So I, you'd be that uncomfortable in one of the rooms? I think so. If I heard some, if you're the only one in the hotel and you heard footsteps coming down the hall, uh-uh. No, thank you, sir. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You said the, oh, I was the only one in the hotel? Much like any other haunted house we do. Oh, hey, okay. you're the only person okay. staying at Willow's Weep at so, that night. All right, I'm not you're... just going to get drunk on oh, hell no. at the, like, the local pub at, on Los Angeles Boulevard no, and then do, coming back. You can do that at Foxwoods or Mohegan around here. Okay, probably a six. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, it's going to be scary. It's, yeah, it's up there. So, guys, that is our episode on the Cecil Hotel. We hope you guys enjoyed this one. If you guys could do us a solid and give us a follow on Instagram, we are at Brown Brothers Haunting Hour. Me and Ty like to post a lot of fun pictures that go alongside with our episodes. If you guys could give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would be eternally grateful to you. You guys can rate us on Spotify as well. Also, shout out to anybody who has been following us since the beginning. We freaking love you guys. And we hope we can bring you a ton of scares coming into 2023. And as always, we're the Brown Bros, and we're coming to you from the grave.